Those of you who are um, newer to Grace, you're checking things out, just stepping in here. We've been going through a sermon series through the Gospel of John. The Gospel means good news um, that the Apostle John shares about Jesus Christ, the story of Jesus. Walking through John, seeing light shining in our darkness. Light shining in our darkness. Today's passage, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. If you have a Bible or Bible app, you can go ahead and turn there. John 5, 1 through 18 is where we are at. John sets out for us to see that Jesus is God and believe and experience eternal life, but experience abundant life now. Okay? To get things started here, I need, I need a volunteer. I need a volunteer. Normally I'm asking for kiddos, but we already kicked them out. So this means it's going to have to be, you know, somebody. All right, I need a volunteer, just a volunteer. All right, Chris Dugan. All right, Chris is an out-of-towner, y'all. And he's coming up here. I'm just, you know, just, uh, well, you know, if you want another one, all right, come on up here. All right, so we, 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 we've got some, uh, an eye doctor, at least one eye doctor in the house here. So he's going to have to hold me accountable to my science, all right? So there's this phenomenon called macular degeneration, all right? So there's a problem is, is that for some people, and, and Tom Johnson, our man back in the sound booth there, was just telling me, like, he suffers from this thing called macular degeneration. And one of the symptoms is it, 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 you lose your central vision, okay? So your peripheral vision is maintained. So on this screen here, I just need you guys' help here. Like, what do you guys, what do you guys see? It may, it may seem, it's, it's, this question is no... No more complicated than that. Just, what do you see? No, you, you guys, yeah. I shouldn't have let you come up here, Eddie. What was I thinking? All right, Chris, help me out, brother. What do you see? So far, hard to find good help these days. What do you see, Chris? Uh, I see a lot of uh, a lot of hands raised. Uh-huh. Um, a shadow in the middle. And the shadow in the middle. You, you you can't quite see what's in the middle, but you can you see the hands. You see some people out there on the periphery. Yep. Macular degeneration again causes a loss of central vision, and all we see is the periphery. All right. Well, what do we see in this next slide? What's different? Besides the words on the bottom. There's no shadow. There's no shadow. And what was the shadow covering? Jesus. 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 Today's we're going to see. Thanks, Chris. Give Chris a hand here. There's a phenomenon spiritually, as we can experience this physically, where there's this loss of central vision physically happens we can experience this spiritually in our lives and it's and it's a symptom of of what i'm calling religion as we'll see in our passage today that religion blinds us to what's really important it blinds us to seeing jesus when he's right before us we'll see what's on the periphery we'll focus on what's on the periphery but we'll lose sight of what's really important jesus jesus If you haven't turned there, go ahead and do so. John 5, 1 through 18. Here we go. 
After this, Jesus is healing of this ruling official's son. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, or or people who are physically disabled. They're blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your mat, your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and he walked. Now, that day was a Sabbath, which happened to be a Saturday back then, or in Jewish culture, Sabbath, a day of rest. So the Jews said to the men who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is this man who said this to you? Take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Let's pray for the Holy Spirit's work as we receive his word. Spirit, we do come to you, and we're dependent on you to open our hearts and our eyes. Let us not be blind like these Pharisees, convinced that they could see clearly. They were blind to seeing you right in front of them. Their God and their Savior. Lord God, help us humble our hearts today to receive your word, to see. We might see. And Lord God, that our focus, Jesus, would be you. Do that in our hearts. Come upon me, your your broken vessel, Jesus. The sinful man, come upon me, that I might teach your word aright. In your name we pray, amen. As we come to this passage in John chapter 5 now, a shift is happening in the, in the gospel of John, in this, in this story that he's sharing. A shift that is happening is that now the focus is going to be upon, with Jesus' interactions with these religious leaders called the Pharisees. 
And they're, 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 they're arguing, they're persecuting, they're seeking to kill him. And so we're going to pay attention here to this new change. And, 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 and there's teachings that Jesus has for us in, in the midst of this. So that's kind of the bigger picture in the chapters to come. But in this immediate setting, what do we have here? Jesus has left northern Israel. He's making his way down to the capital of Jerusalem. There's some feasts going on, and he's in the northern part of the city of Jerusalem, where it's called Bethesda, this sheep gate, and there's these pools that are there, okay? They're large pools. They're not, they're not small pools. They're, 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 they're about 150 to 250 feet wide and, 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 and over 100 feet long. They're, they're big pools. And what do we see in this place at these pools? This multitude, not just a couple, but a multitude of disabled people who are broken, blind, lame, meaning they can't, they've lost the use of their appendages, particularly their legs, or they're paralyzed. They're all congregating around these pools. You see, what was believed was that these pools, when there was a stirring in the water, it was not a subtle kind of stirring. It was an obvious kind of stirring. Where there was this stirring in the water, whoever was able to get there into the water in that stirring, there was believed that this stirring was done divinely, possibly even by angels. And that the first person who got into the water there and went into the waters would be healed. What may have happened in legend in the past, once or twice, whatever was God's grace that allowed that, it had become superstition at this point. People sought the healing from these waters. These waters were stirred when the natural springs produced new water and fresh water for the pools. Their hope, if you will, Their hope was shallow, like the waters. So Jesus steps into this place. Now, interestingly enough, we have Jesus, who's the Son of God, and we have all this multitude of people who are in need of healing, but he focuses on one. Isn't that interesting? One man who's been there for 38 years, and he sees him lying there, and he approaches this man. And he asks them the question. This is, so this is interesting. This man didn't come to Jesus. It's important for us to take note of that. He wasn't seeking help or healing. He didn't know who Jesus was. Like in the previous account in the chapter before, he was just laying there another day waiting for the pool to get stirred and hoping that he could get into the water. And Jesus comes to him and asks Do you want to be healed? It's so interesting when we consider our lives. Oftentimes we connect God's working in our lives. It's causal. If I'm doing these good things, you know, if if I'm being faithful, if I believe, if I have enough faith, then God will work. We're tempted to fall into formulas, aren't we, as human beings, right? Right? Where we put God into boxes, 
God will use a variety of means in his ways in his time to show himself to people, whether they believe or not. In some of your stories, you have testimonies of, of even how God showed up before you ever believed, and he did miraculous things. Maybe it was saving you from an, in an accident. It was providing in a special way. God, God does not fit into our formulas. It's not a matter of us being good enough and believing enough for Him to do good things for us. God is God. And He is wise. And He is good in His actions. And once again, He, he did not heal all of these people. He healed only one. We trust God's goodness and His wisdom and His judge, judgments. And so he asks this man, do you want to be healed? And the man's response is, I have no one to put me in the pool. Somebody always gets there before me. I just can't ever get there. His condition of, of, of being uh, 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 an invalid for 38 years is to, to help us see the significance of, 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 of how bad things are in his life. It's so bad that he couldn't even get to the water. Somebody was always getting down to the water before him. There was no hope in his mind of these, the potential healing experience. But as you can see here, the man's hope was in the waters. He hadn't any hope in God himself. Oftentimes, oftentimes we're caught up more in superstition, right, than we are in faith and trust in the Lord. Jesus tells him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once, this man was healed. Once again, the, the significance of his disability is to help us to understand the magnitude of his, of, of, of his healing. That it would have been obvious for all people, in fact. And how amazing this would be. At Jesus' word, he has control over biological life. He has the ability to restore bodily functioning and, and overcome disease and disability at just his word. Who is this man that can do this? But there's a wrinkle in this story. In fact, the healing isn't the focal point of this story. It says now, the context here, the day was the Sabbath. So for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with the Old Testament or Jewish culture, Sabbath was a very significant thing. It went all the way back to God when he created everything on the seventh day, he rested. And he, and he invited us all into that rhythm of rest. That became an ethical and moral thing that separated the Jews from all other cultures around to have rest. And a rest for everybody. Slaves, animals. This concept of rest was huge and significant. And it was commanded by God. And it became a law. A law that was enforceable, in fact. It was so significant, honoring Sabbath and resting as a reflection of being God's people. 
It was a good thing that God has given to us as we celebrate that on Sundays, if you will. Or or, or on a particular day of the week, we still celebrate and need Sabbath rest. So the Jews, in verse 10, they pick up on this. They see this man. Oh, he's walking around with his mat. And they confront him and say, it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. Okay, so we've got to catch up here. The dude is just walking around with his mat. And he's uh, confronted by the police, if you will. The religious police. And they say, it's not lawful for you to be carrying your mat. Actually, they're wrong. You see, God's law, when you look at Deuteronomy and Exodus, and, 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 and even where it talks about this specifically in, in Jeremiah as well, where, where it talks about not doing any work, it has to do with vocation. The man was just carrying his mat to go home. What has happened is that these Pharisees, they had, in order to honor God's, God's, God's good thing that he'd given us in Sabbath rest, they created extra rules they created extra rules that they equated with god with god's rule and it became extensive in fact there was 39 different kinds of laws that they had added listen to these you'll like them i'm sure these are things you cannot do on the Sabbath, baking. Sorry, there's no food today. No weaving, no making of two loops when you weave, or weaving two threads together, or separating two threads. No tying a knot, and no loosening a knot. God forbid. No sewing two stitches. One stitch is okay, but not two. And no tearing of two stitches. No hunting. Did you guys hear that? No hunting. No slaughtering. No filleting. No salting. It's a bad day when there's no flavor in that meat. That's a bad day. No curing. No scraping. No cutting up the the hide. You can't write two letters. You can write down one letter, but not two. And no erasing two letters either. No building, no pulling down, no putting out a fire. That's a breath. (laughs) Sorry, Canada and California. No lighting a fire. No striking with a hammer. And here's the one that they're accusing this man of. No taking one thing from one place to another doesn't matter what you're carrying. You can't carry anything from one place to another place. These are not from God. These were made by man in order to protect in their minds and honor and help people honor the Sabbath. But they're over the top. They're man-made. They're not God's law. Now this man here, So he responds, he doesn't know any better. He hasn't been walking for 38 years. He answered them, well, the man who healed me told me to take up my bed and walk. 
well, this is a concern for the Pharisees because they don't want somebody teaching the wrong things and somebody who's uh, 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 stepping into their place and being, being, being a her- heretical and a false teacher. And so they want to find out who's this man? Who is this person teaching these, these false teachings? And the man didn't know. And so later, Jesus comes to him because he had slipped away after he healed the man. He said, see, you're well. Go and sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, this verse isn't meant to be the focal point, so I'm just going to make it very brief. What Jesus, what oftentimes we'll connect with is because we do bad things, bad things happen. We believe more in karma than we believe in the grace of God. We are far more superstitious as human beings than we are people of faith. That's, Jesus is not saying, don't do bad things. Because bad things will happen when you do bad things. What he's talking about here is this man isn't converted. This man isn't a a believer. This man isn't saved. This man doesn't trust Jesus as God and Savior yet. What he's saying is repent. Come back to God the Father. Repent. Because eternal judgment is what lies before you. What lies before any of us if we do not repent and turn to God the Father? If we do not believe and trust through Jesus Christ and follow Him as our Lord. And so the man knows now that it's Jesus and he goes back to the Jews. He's a little bit of a snitch, if you will, here, throwing Jesus under the bus. He healed you. And so the Jews came. The Pharisees came, and they were persecuting Jesus. They were attacking him. And why was he telling these these lies? And why was he acting uh, on the Sabbath? Why was he doing these things? And Jesus replies to them, My father is working until now. And I am working. And so I am working. My father is working right now. And so I am working. The Jews, these leaders, they weren't dull. They didn't need to be sharpened to get Jesus' point. They understood what he was saying. He, He was saying, God is my father, and the rules that apply to God apply to me because I'm his son. You see, God is providentially at work. God's resting in creation. For those of you who are kind of wondering, well, hold on a second here, Pastor Scott. On the seventh day, he rested. So what's going on? How is is he working? God has providentially been at work. He rested from creating new things. He's providentially at work in our lives, in the universe, sustaining it and holding it. He is working in our midst to draw us to himself, that we might be saved, that we might be changed. God is constantly working, and as a result, so is Jesus. Jesus' work of healing, for example, is carrying out the Father's work. The Jews are quick, and they pick this up, but their reaction is messed up. Just like with the man who'd been 38 years stuck 
on the ground, moaning, disabled. He wasn't new to the gig. He was healed. And what was the thing that they asked him? Why are you walking with a mat? Not like, why are you walking? And with Jesus right in front of them saying, my father's working all the time, and therefore so am I. You're saying you're equal with God. That's heresy. That's wrong. Rather than, you are God come to us. You are the one the prophecies told us about. You, you're our Savior. Praise God. You've come finally. Their reaction isn't worship. Their reaction is rejection. Jesus is standing right in front of them. And their concern is that he broke their rules. Not God's, theirs. Religion is what the Pharisees got caught up in. Religion blinds us to seeing what's important, to seeing Jesus himself. Just like in that picture before us earlier, we get, we get lost, we lose that central vision. We'll focus on secondary things peripheral things and make them priority things when and 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 we lose sight of what what life is all about what christianity is all about it's about jesus we're all prone to getting caught up into this the next section in, G, in these passages that follow Pastor Friday is going to pick this, uh, 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 the passage up next week here, this section. And uh, the, the following verses, though, after that, verses 30 through 47, Jesus gives some of the reasons, though, why, di- why the Pharisees are off. It, 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 first, in those verses, in verses 30 through 40, Jesus explains, I have testimony here that I am God's Son. And in these verses... He explains, I've got John the Baptist's testimony. I've got my miracles. You saw me heal. Shouldn't that tell you that there's something more going on here? God the Father himself testifies. And in fact, all of the scriptures do too as well. As I mentioned before, our tendency, when we, if we get caught up in religion, this is how you can diagnose what's going on. And if we get drifting into religion, it's important for us to help to understand what's happening in our hearts and our lives so we can get back to what's truly life-giving. Because, friends, religion kills. Religion will strangle the life out of you and out of others. But Jesus gives life. Amen? Jesus explains here in uh, verses 39 through 40. He says, you search, search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. What he's saying here is that we can misuse even the Bible. 
The point isn't about knowing more. The point isn't about academic kinds of knowledge. Isn't it about being able to say the right things? This should lead us to Jesus. He confirms later in those verses, chapter 5, verse 45, he says, Do you not think that I will accuse you? There's one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you set your hope. Moses is from the Old Testament. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. He wrote of me. But you do not believe his writings. How will you believe my words? We, we, we've had this, this study going through called Cover to Cover. It's going through the entire, book of the, uh, the entire Bible. And we're seeing how all the books of the Bible point to Jesus. Even in the Old Testament. Moses, who wrote the first five books, it's pointing to Jesus. What happens in religion is we'll focus on, okay, the scriptures, the Bible says do these things. We'll focus on the doing of the things, the following of the instructions. If I obey, then God will love me. That's backwards. You see, because if we focus on Jesus, we understand that I am loved, therefore I obey. Did you catch the difference there? It's a huge difference in our lives because one will strangle life out of you and the other will give life. I obey in order to be loved. Or I am ridiculously, extravagantly, unconditionally loved. Therefore, I obey. What a difference. What a difference. Pharisees, the religion, will focus on particular kinds of theology, will, uh, uh, of theology, of, of, of beliefs, you know, I'll throw out some words here. It'll mean some things to some of you. Others, it won't mean anything, mean anything to you. But like Calvinism or Arminianism, what kind of baptism that you went through, whether you believe in the miraculous works of the Holy Spirit, we'll get focused on all these kinds of secondary, peripheral kinds of things, and we'll make these things that that you draw a line in the sand, and you're saved or you're not saved, or you're in or you're out. You know, we do that also with social things, right? What political party you're a part of, right? We'll start drawing lines in the sand. What are your social beliefs? What are your medical beliefs? We start drawing lines in the sand, adding to Jesus. Jesus. We naturally gravitate towards that. Not only that, but religion. Religion focuses on you. Focuses on me. Focuses on us. The onus is on us to follow the rules. To be good enough. To have the evidence. The focus is on us that we make the rules. Remember there was an era when you couldn't play cards. You couldn't You couldn't dance. And how, was that, how did the old, the, the old joke go? The reason why you can't have premarital sex is because it could lead to dancing, right? Because there was a day and time 
when we had added to the rules because we were concerned about honoring God's design for purity that we didn't want people to do these certain behaviors because we, and so we made a law, an extra law. We do that. Religion focuses on what we do, not on what he's done, not on what he does. That that's, that's, that's what changes us. Religion focuses on glory that we get from man rather than glorifying God. Religion makes us proud. When we're, when we're tipping into that place of religion, we start to have this kind of arrogance that we can start to judge people for their behavior. And what we do is we distance ourselves and we say, look at that person and how they're acting, and we distance ourselves. Okay, This is important to take note of. You see, when Jesus is at work in you, you don't distance yourself from somebody. You step towards them. How can I walk with you? How can I love you? How can we pursue Jesus together? How can I help you? you do you notice the difference there? We have a tendency, friends, to drift towards this as human beings. It's not something special to these Pharisees. The, the, because they had fallen into religion, it's, they couldn't see Jesus. When we drift into religion, friends, we lose sight of Jesus. Coming to church becomes a chore. Praying and reading the word and serving others becomes a way in which we measure we're right with God. I'm good enough because I've done these things. Or, or, or again, those things become a church. They become a have to. Friends, the way we guard our hearts from drifting into religion is, is, is that I, I, I need to come to be gathered together in church because I need Jesus. I come to church because I want to worship Jesus. I come to church because I want to grow and become like Jesus. I pray because I want to know Jesus. I want to be in relationship with Jesus. I read the word because I want to know him. I want to become like him. I want to be changed. I want Jesus. I serve others because I want to serve Jesus. Are you getting it? Is it making sense? Because in religion, it becomes about you and me. It becomes about a have to. It becomes a rule. And eventually it becomes dead. And you don't want to come. It's a chore, right? This whole Christianity thing becomes just a, a chore. It's empty. Because it's not about Jesus. Religion cause, causes spiritual, macular degeneration. Religion blinds us to seeing Jesus. How's your vision? This morning, come to the eye doctor. Come to Jesus. Let him clear up your vision. Set your sights on him. Set your sights on him.